I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. And welcome back to On Air. What a week it's been again. How are you doing, Alex? I'm good. I'm good. It's There's some unusual... I know we've, we've been in touch about this throughout in between episodes because there is some unusual weather in the region, specifically across the Gulf. And while rain is perfectly normal elsewhere, when it rains here, it's something of a novelty, <laughs> but also things start acting up. You suddenly can't get to places because you very quickly realize these are cities in the desert. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I was at the Dubai Mall. I don't remember when it rained in Dubai, but it was someday, I think last week. And Last Me, Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. Yeah. It's so funny because we were texting each other videos and I was like, oh my God, because we happened to be in the Dubai mall with a friend walking out. And the second we walk out, the Burj Khalifa is hit by lightning. And 30 oh, wow. seconds later, the sky is just open. Everyone is like elated, so excited, <laughs> which, you know, I think about all the <laughs> European tourists who are there to lie on the beach. I know they're just all so frustrated. Actually, I'm sure you didn't see this, but I saw the most fascinating new type of insurance was introduced by, you know, TUI, the charter company. So, of course, the tour operator. Yeah. So TUI Scandinavia specifically partnered with a new type of insurance where you sign up, it depends on the cost of your trip, and then you get cover for every day that it rains on your trip. So if it rains every single day, you get 100% of your trip refunded by this insurance, which I think is pretty wow. genius. Yeah, definitely. And you know, there's a misconception as well that in so many places around the world, think of the beautiful beaches of the Maldives and so on and so on, that it's just this picture perfect weather every single day but of course there are entire seasons where that does not happen yeah. and it always amazes me when you hear that people haven't checked it's like those that don't <laughs> check to, when they're going to disneyland or something and they're going whenever hurricane season is you know oh, kind of like the middle yeah. of summer onwards and they're just shocked that they're caught up in you know florida is bracing for a new, you know blah 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 so totally it's, uh, it's yeah. one thing if you're from a place that doesn't really have seasons then i understand okay you're you're not as prone to search but if you're from most of europe it the first thing you need to look up is the weather because you know how big a difference the weather makes and how seasonal it is. Well, I understand you wanted to start with some news that you have that you haven't yet briefed me on, but you didn't sound happy. <laughs> I bet you're rolling your eyes that Gothenburg makes a return today. I but I knew it had to be related to Gothenburg for you not to want to tell me. <laughs> it's no longer positive news. I don't know if we had positive news ever about Gothenburg on this podcast. But now my, my disappointment, my childhood trauma returns because SAS has announced. And this the thing that pisses me off about this is that I met the CEO of SAS in April this year at the inaugural flight from Gothenburg to New York. And he told me we are that. really committed to Gothenburg. We're guaranteeing at least two summers with this route. We really want to give it a chance. Then, guess what? Last night, on the night that the route ends for the season, SCS announced that both the route from New York to Gothenburg and the route from New York to Aalborg, which is a much, much smaller city in Denmark, will not be returning next year or potentially ever, depending on... No. Yeah, depending on what happens. So I was just like, this is my childhood disappointments 
all coming back. And I, I, I mean, I'm not surprised, but it's sad news. It's always sad news when a city that isn't very well connected gets a really valuable route and then loses it again, you know? Did it only start this summer? In, in April, yeah. So it was a summer seasonal three times a week with an A321 and it still didn't make it. Oh, Dan, 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 Dan. I mean, you know, I, I don't, it's, okay, I'm, I'm gutted for you <laughs> because I know you lobbied as hard as you could have. <laughs> for the sake of the people of Gothenburg to give them non-stop Dan, <laughs> non-stop flights to your other home, yeah. Newark, <laughs> in the US. But aviation is a vicious game and, and it is survival of the fittest. It Genuinely, is. it's a bit <laughs> rubbish when airlines are, are pulling routes that you're passionate about or that you rely upon or that, or that you know, I mean... The aircraft that they were using was the A321neo or A321LR? Yeah, A321LR, which was literally made okay. for routes like this. Which is which was my point, which is that, you know, I for years sat through Airbus presentations <laughs> in Toulouse where the, the exact models they were showing that this route, this aircraft is perfect for the slim, thin routes, aka those with not mass demand, but with bespoke demand you know and, and it's specifically for connecting those smaller cities secondary cities like Gothenburg to places that are hubs like New York so it's all a bit rubbish when actually on paper it looks great you know there's the yeah. perfect aircraft for it you've got the perfect target market you've got non-stop Dan who's probably going to without even realizing <laughs> promote promote the the route to the end of the earth and back because he's connecting his his two homes I mean I'm a little bit and um, you know I used to be a bit like that to do with trying to get airlines to come to um, Malaga in the south <laughs> yeah. of Spain because well you shouldn't complain you have like almost every Middle Eastern airline flying there at least in the summer but of course the I winter know. is another I thing I mean there was a time 2017 2018 I used to sit there and say I spend my life in transit I'm forever <laughs> in Madrid I'm forever I, I had gone from Malaga because at the time I was fully based there I had gone from Malaga to Toulouse Airbus via everywhere you every way possible you name it I had done it whether it was Brussels or Frankfurt or or Paris or Madrid or Barcelona or Portugal or Rome or yeah, I mean well. anywhere and every single time it just took the whole day like you, you, you yeah there but, was no way around it but this is like such a privilege that people don't realize who live in a big well-connected city that like what's crazy is that next summer i'm going okay i don't want to say what i'm doing there i'm going to edinburgh and i was checking flights to go to scandinavia from edinburgh after that nowadays i prefer to avoid flying low-cost airlines just because i have a massive carry-on like bag that i know they won't allow but there's literally no options, even from Edinburgh, which is, I think, the biggest, most popular city in Scotland. If you don't want to connect to get to Scandinavia, there's SAS to Stockholm on some days, not great timings. But even in a city that I think of as very relevant, there's direct flights to the Middle East, to the U.S., they don't even have flights to most non-hubs in Europe because there's no airlines based there. So... There's so many places yeah. that suffer from a lack of connectivity 
And I, I want to ask you, do you feel like the A321 LR is actually living up to its promise in terms of unlocking routes that weren't previously served? The quick answer to that is no. But before we do go on to that, it's interesting that you don't want to talk about why you're going to Edinburgh, because of course, you don't want, perhaps you don't want the, the listeners to know that in Edinburgh, you're taking a small connection to the Trump Turnbury Hotel, the Scottish what? Mar-a-Lago resort that he has, that <laughs> you've been invited to by the former president himself and you don't want to be be exposed there's this big you cut you open and you're a red republican which is totally fine because you know each to their own and so on and so on so it's funny that you just gloss over the fact that you'll be spending the summer this with the Trump family. is fake news if i ever well, heard who do news. you sound like i mean if ever we needed confirmation there it is uh the 321 neo incredibly versatile as i said for those secondary things I, I don't think airlines are deploying it as they should be no i mean there are some airlines that are Aer Lingus do it quite well transatlantic who else tap air portugal they're doing it transatlantic that's what it was for but am i seeing a rise of secondary cities being connected to big hubs and having mid-haul and long-haul services because of these efficient and they are incredibly efficient a through 21 neo family aircraft no Air yeah. airlines just are not being very very brave i mean by this logic we should have direct non-stop flights from smaller let, let's look at spain okay things shouldn't be going through madrid with these aircraft you should be able to connect non-stop demand to places like bilbao in the north to places like I mean, malaga certainly in the malaga and mallorca yeah yeah it, it could even go as far as working for Granada, for example, as a, as a big Andalusia gateway for the whole Al-Andalus tourism thing, you know, and the same in, in France, you should have direct nonstop to Bordeaux, you should have more direct nonstop to Toulouse and, and Nice and so on and so on. It's just not there. Yeah, and, and that's what's so sad to see an airline like SAS actually try what this aircraft was intended for and not just do what they've been doing before is flying from their big hub, Copenhagen, to Boston, which is a huge city, Toronto, which is a huge city. Both of these, well, not so much Boston, but Toronto is a massive Air Canada and Star Alliance hub, the alliance they are in at the moment and have been in. Then you have airlines like JetBlue, which are using it to expand their long-haul operations, but they're flying the most generic routes like New York to London, New York to Amsterdam, New York to Paris, which are served by so many other airlines. So there's not really any value add. And then you look at SAS and they tried and they failed. Of course, I don't believe they gave it the chance they should give. We know that launching a new route requires a huge variety of components to make it successful. Launching it is just one piece, but then there's the marketing. And it, it reminds me when Qatar Airways launched flights to Gothenburg, which also sadly disappeared with the pandemic. Then they literally had buses, the regular Gothenburg buses. I've never seen this in my life with any other ad. They were painted burgundy. They had Qatar Airways plastered over them. There were billboards. Gothenburg doesn't even have billboards and somehow Qatar Airways had billboards in the city. I've <laughs> never seen marketing like that. And that's what a route like this requires. And then to think that for Swedes, their national airline, SAS, is launching flights to a city that Swedes are obsessed with I didn't see even a Facebook ad while I was in Sweden for the route. Forget about anything in the city. So I think there's lacking commitment, but 
if you can, you know, drive resources, which obviously SAS doesn't have, especially to the same extent as Qatar Airways, then hopefully these types of routes could work because it has such a huge positive economic impact on the communities that they serve as well. One hundred percent. And you, you just really eloquently kind of gave insight into how difficult it is, how much is required to let people know. And it, you have to have, we've spoken about this before, you have to have cut through. And I can remember one major Gulf carrier, they're not actually operating the route now, as you said, because of uh, because of COVID and ever since COVID, sorry. And it's not Qatar always. But uh, one of the Gulf carriers was flying to a smaller European city and in that European city, it continued to be used as a case study as we had walked into a restaurant and the elderly women at the table next to us were talking about how they could, in that language, about how they could now travel direct to XYZ. So, and, you know, that was an example of cut through. They had they had been able to cut through. Yeah. Wait, so, what was the right. route? I'm so curious. I The reason I didn't say it is because there are very, very credible rumors that it's coming back in the next few weeks. There's going to be an announcement. So I don't want to preempt the announcement because I would like to discuss the announcement if and mm. when it comes and we can link back to this episode. But it's a decent route. So let's have a look. You, you specifically will like it. So Okay. The, right. uh, 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 it's not Gothenburg. I mean, I know. There's the clarity from now. Okay, speaking about what is happening in our world, the world of aviation, the world that we now get to share with you on the podcast, this week is pretty big because finally, after several years, the brand new Abu Dhabi midfield terminal, essentially Abu Dhabi's new airport, is set to open this week, some six years later than planned. Amazing. It's about time. So many people just thought it would never open, which if you fly through Abu Dhabi, you see this incredible, elegant terminal through the window while you're sat in like some dilapidated, cramped old building that is the current, or well, the former now Abu Dhabi terminal, just thinking, when are they going to open that? So now no one can believe that it's finally happening. It's so exciting for anyone who has suffered through Abu Dhabi's current airport. It's funny because I think I remember telling you this, that it was 2015 and I was in transit from Sydney to Abu Dhabi and then on to London. And while I was in Abu Dhabi, I had uh, a lady from the ground services of Etihad Airways. They, they, called themselves back then i don't know if they are now concierge and basically she they at back then they they would escort business class passengers on certain fares so i don't think it was for all business class passengers but basically maybe if you were full fare business they would escort you between your flights to and from the lounge and so on and so wow. this is what she was doing she was she had picked me up from the lounge and said i'll take you to the to the aircraft and i i saw other passengers on my flight also have this but about three or four Anyway, so it was 2015. It was dark. She pointed outside the window. There were all these lights and cranes and everything. And she said, you see that amazing terminal there? And I was, yeah. And she was like, <laughs> next time you fly through here, she said, you're going to be flying through there because that is opening in just over 15 months. Well, of course, that was <laughs> um, to, to keep theme and consistency with last week's episode. That was 
nearly 10 years ago. Okay. <laughs> it was, you know, it was just under 10 years ago. But okay, the, listen, the funny it wasn't thing, a long time ago. Yeah, the funny and thing it is she's... nearly 10 years ago. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess in this case, well, it depends how you look at it. But she was right about the first part because I don't think you have traveled through Abu Dhabi since then. So the next time... You might really yeah. be in the new terminal. No, I did. I did. I traveled oh, once more to Abu Dhabi since then. That yeah. Sucks. And then after that, it was uh, Dubai for a few times. Well, you, you the, won't be traveling through Abu Dhabi International Airport anymore because it's being renamed Zayed International Airport after Sheikh Zayed, the founder of the UAE. So that's another part of the news that it's getting a new name, just like Hamad International Airport in Doha. It will be named after local rulers. What What do you think about naming airports after figures like, you know, New York JFK, John F. Kennedy Airport? There's yeah. so many examples. Yeah, I think it's, it's so much more common than we realize. I mean, Trudeau in Montreal, yep. Charles de Gaulle in Paris, Liverpool, John Lennon. It's absolutely everywhere in, in aviation, specifically in the Middle East. It's incredibly culturally common. As you said, you have Hamad International Airport in Doha, which is named after the father Emir, so the father of the Emir, Sheikh Hamad. And then you can almost expect that future bits of infrastructure will eventually start to be named after the current Emir. And, and that's the, what the model they're following in. And they do across the Gulf in the UAE and so on. And I know you're super familiar with this also. I mean, the fact that Abu Dhabi's midfield terminal, and I, as far as I know, they are still calling it midfield, right? No, no, no. It's been renamed for some inexplicable reason, Terminal A, even though the current terminal is, the current huh. terminals that exist are Terminal 1 and 3. And then the new one is Terminal A. There's going to be, it's going to be a weird transition period because, so first of all, Etihad is not moving over for a few weeks. Obviously, it's a huge deal and logistical challenge for them to move. Now that, now as we talk, only the more, I don't want to say, you know, B-list airlines, but the slightly okay. more sketch airlines, maybe the ones that don't give lounge access. The, the, one, <laughs> the airline Yeah, mode. basically some of the airlines that you maybe wouldn't want to fly are moving over. Then after that, there's, I think Etihad's transition starts and finally on November 14th, every single airline will move. So there are some questions about what does this mean for lounges? Because this terminal has sat, finished, ready to go since pretty much 2017 or at least 2019. So things have just been gathering dust. Of course, it's been dusted, but there's a lot of things that need to get rolling. And a big thing in Abu Dhabi, which I wish it would be more common, they have U.S. immigration in Abu Dhabi at the current terminal that you can clear. So you arrive in the U.S. as a domestic passenger. It's incredible, so convenient. But that yeah. is currently not being moved over. We don't have a timeline. So U.S. flights will continue to leave from the old terminal even after November 14th, while all other flights will be leaving from a completely different part of the airport, Terminal A. What I mean, what could possibly go wrong? But of course, these <laughs> things do. This is this is not an Abu Dhabi specific problem. This happens everywhere when you to try to move terminals, let alone move basically airport presence uh, is logistically so complex that this is where passengers i mean if you are traveling through via to or from abu dhabi airport over the next couple of months 
allow much more time. This isn't to do with queues and this isn't, to, this is just to allow yourself or your taxi driver, for example, your hotel car, your metro stop to make a mistake. Because as you just correctly said, there's going to be this in-between phase where the US flights will go from one place, some, uh, you, you could arrive on with one airline, for example, with Etihad, but your next flight can be operated by Etihad's partner who hasn't yet moved over to the new terminal. And so you have to go to the old terminal and so on and so on. Airports are incredibly complex in this way. I mean, this, this terminal now is a massive 742,000 square meter terminal, which originally, Dan, this was poised to support the growth of Etihad Airways. Etihad was part of the, the N3, good old days. Middle East 3, the good old days of Nicole Kidman uh, in the residence and you know, splashing the cash on these amazing ad campaigns and cabins and the A380s and so on. But of course, since then, a lot has, a lot has changed. I mean, Etihad Airways had multiple billion dollar losses prior to the pandemic. Uh, and so it was forced to shrink and abandon its plans to try to be another Emirates and kind of go a bit more more boutique. And funding was a little bit, it wasn't flowing as well as they had thought it would once the delays had started into the terminal, which caused some delays related to construction contracts and all these kind of complications. And then there was a long period where Abu Dhabi was completely silent about this terminal. I mean, yeah. I, I remember I was constantly trying to follow up as to what, what was happening with it, and there was a silent period. Interestingly enough, I've scrolled back on Twitter. My first tweet of the year was on the 4th of January, and I put exclusive. Abu Dhabi is I airport, remember. Midfield. Oh, my God. It's set to open. in. It's, it will finally you open in 2023. It. I put Abu Dhabi's midfield terminal was supposed to open in 2017, but was hit with delays and financial difficulties. Sources have confirmed to me that it is now likely to open before the end of this year. And here we are. Wow. Good job. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't notice that while you were talking. I was thinking, did I not run with this as an exclusive, yeah. as a, as an exclusive like, at the beginning of the year? Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, good it's super exciting. It's It's just crazy that this was supposed to happen in 2017, which I still feel like that was a very exciting time for aviation. We saw a yeah. huge innovation from Lufthansa that year when they introduced Allegris, which famously or infamously gave them a Skytrax five-star rating, which, yeah, we've oh, discussed, geez. questionable. But now Abu Dhabi's new terminal is opening where is Lufthansa Allegris, I ask? Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? Lufthansa, of course, being home in Germany. Germany being the home, at least by stereotype, of efficiency. You know, the worldwide famous German efficiency. Berlin Brandenburg Airport. Here we go. Trivia time. How many years late did the new Berlin airport open? So I'm going to go back because I remember so clearly in 2012. So I can't. I can't say if that's when it was, if it was delayed before them. I remember flying Air Berlin in 2012 from Gothenburg via to New York, and there were banners everywhere saying, in two months, in June, we are opening the new airport. We're so excited. And it was, it was that close. It was less than two months away. The staff were talking about it. And then, of course, come June, there's problems with the fire systems or fire alarm systems. And... When did it finally open? 2021? It opened... Okay, so so I'll go back to the question. 
how many years later <laughs> open? I, I, uh, let me give you a hint. I've already mentioned oh, the number almost ten times. <laughs> No, Almost it was 10, ten. years. <laughs> it was 10. Finally, it, was ten it actually was years. 10 years. Yep. Yep. Berlin, Berlin Airport, the Brandenburg Airport, which is now the Berlin Airport, opened 10 years late and three times over budget. One of the national embarrassment projects of Germany, home to such great levels of efficiency, but seemingly struggled to open an airport. And, and don't be confused. It's not that it took 10 years to do. It was 10 years late in its opening. The opening was originally scheduled 30th of October 2011. Okay, so it, it didn't open until 10 years later. Wow. Okay, so it actually was delayed even when when they were saying it's going to open in June 2012. That was already a few months yeah. delayed. So when did it finally open? Oh, it opened in 2020. So so I was close in 2021. So it says it's and the it first was almost was the 10 Atlantic. years, Alex. It was, it was actually nine years. years. <laughs> Oh my God. The, the headline I'm looking at says 10, but yeah, you're right. It's almost 10. So actually it was more in line with my statement, you know, all, almost yeah, 10. Or my original the statement. The first but... arrival was an A320 Neo EasyJet. I, I can remember thinking, of course, Berlin, Berlin opened in the heart of the worst crisis of yeah. global aviation ever. Like October 2020, when literally nothing was happening, Berlin were like, we read it. We read it. <laughs> but I mean, if you're open a new terminal and you're going to go through the transition, that's a pretty great time to start because traffic was yeah, so definitely. slow so now etihad facing entirely full flights having to do the transition is much harder but back to lufthansa so the the thing i just find so hilarious about this this is we're now six years after this seat was supposed to be introduced so i'm reading this story on one mile at a time where Basically, there have been reports that Lufthansa has been trying to figure out what to do with its flagship 747-8, which it plans on keeping around for a long time. It's going to introduce Allegris on these planes. So now, all of a sudden, we hear Lufthansa doesn't actually know how it's going to fit its Allegris seats on the 747. Oh it hasn't thought it through. So the current plan is to install only business class on the lower deck for the first two years. Don't ask me when those two years start, probably 2040 or something. Then, given that these seats are heavier than current seats, Lufthansa has to add a 700 kilo weight in the tail of the aircraft to mitigate the heavier seats, which is obviously terrible for fuel burn, what let alone... <laughs> yeah, so then they finally plan on introducing the seats on the upper deck after two years and then after that they're going to introduce a new first class on the 747 which they haven't even designed because they can't use the first class they announced given that first class is on the in the nose it's a horrible mess does this surprise you at all i mean i'm surprised but does it surprise you no because th this whole thing about them being able to announce whatever they want with no timelines no level of consistency and i mean just to be in the headquarters of Lufthansa, knowing you're making a decision in which you are act voluntarily through decisions of your own, adding weight to your aircraft, the same airline that literally, as with the rest of the industry, removes your in-flight magazines and doesn't give yeah. you this anymore. And doesn't give All you the good anymore, stuff. You know, because every little bit 
counts in terms of reducing that weight. And let's be clear, airlines are reducing the weight of your cabins and the weight of the overall uh, flight itself when it begins to operate not necessarily in the name of climate, although they like to greenwash in that. It's just down to the economics of the airline. They can ultimately refuel the aircraft with, with less fuel and then they are saving money. And fuel is the largest single operational overhead for any airline. I see so many airlines that try to brainwash passengers about how we're removing this for the planet. Like, actually, you're doing it for, for costs. Your, your financials, yeah, which is fine. And there are many other things that they do do for the planet, but let us not greenwash everything. Exactly. I have to read this incredible comment on this post because this is the last I'm going to say about the Allegris. But he says, assume you wanted to intentionally sabotage an airline and damage both the business and the national brand. You would likely operate all kind of useless brandless subsidiaries, which brings us to another piece of Lufthansa related news. Yes. So we have a new Lufthansa brand, exactly what we were all wanting and hoping for. Another new airline <laughs> brand of the Lufthansa group. Christmas has come early, folks, because the new Lufthansa City Airlines will operate alongside the existing Lufthansa City Line, which currently operates alongside Lufthansa, which of course operates alongside all of the other Lufthansa groups. So now you have the Lufthansa Group Airlines, you have Lufthansa, Lufthansa City Line, and very soon coming to a destination near you, Lufthansa City Airlines, because what the world needed was another Lufthansa brand, because Which the is brand separate. is just so, so <laughs> iconic and, and so, you know, beautiful and everything that we need in life that they just give us more. And that's exactly what they've done. Yeah. Our prayers have been answered. We should just finish the podcast here. Thank you, Karsten Spohr. This is separate, we should say, to Lufthansa City Line. City line. This is Lufthansa what? Just yeah. city? This is Lufthansa City Airlines, not to be confused <laughs> okay. with Lufthansa City Line. So, of course, there's an air there. And, of course, if you're a passenger and you're confused, you must be crazy because Lufthansa have it all figured out. Yeah, not to mention the fact that they had Eurowings Discover, which they have just rebranded to Discover Airlines. Not to mention Eurowings. What is going on? Plus, all the other Lufthansa Group Airlines... Mm -hmm. Why are they doing this, Alex? Contracts. Basically, yeah. it's just an easier way for them to be able to either pay their staff less or to be able to avoid strike action. And this is the Lufthansa Group constantly responding to pressures that they have across the company. And the easiest way that they seem to perceive they can get out of either increasing pay or, or ensuring that staff working conditions in terms of the packages and the contracts they are offered are better or, or that they progress bam, introduce a whole other airline brand. And somehow through the through the rigorous process to implement this, they are able to keep away the prospect of strike action, although it does still happen and, and there's definitely strike action coming up, that they're able to keep it away. And this is, this is just a, a contractual thing. And, and Lufthansa, of course, are not the only ones to do this, but come on, I mean, another new airline brand from the Lufthansa group with the word <laughs> Lufthansa in it with now with the word city in it so that two have it so one the German <laughs> aviation journalist Andreas he, he tweeted me saying but the uh, the Lufthansa city line is not its own brand so I replied to him with a picture of an aircraft that clearly says 
Lufthansa City Line, okay, yeah. as you're boarding, it's plastered across the aircraft. And he said, but that's just a sticker, Alex. Okay, but what is branding? I mean, a sticker is not branding yeah. <laughs> when, when they are directly referring to the operator of that flight. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that Lufthansa tries to have good relations with its staff, they make contracts that, you know, are supposed to mitigate strikes. And then, of course, the contracts don't say you're not allowed to start a whole new airline paying staff less and basically phasing out the old staff. So then they go and do that instead. They say, sure, we'll pay the old guys, you know, a great rate, but we'll just start a new airline, outsource all our routes to them and pay them much, much less. And just in case there were there was any confusion, I'm reading now the official announcement from Lufthansa. They say, without a, a shred of irony or anything, City Airlines will operate alongside City Line. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it says. So it's like, get it, got it, good, great, move on. <laughs> no one's got it. There has never been a more appropriate time for that meme. No one. And then a new row, <laughs> Lufthansa. I think just what we need <laughs> is another Lufthansa subsidiary. Oh, dear. So there we go. Lufthansa continuing to make its headlines for yeah. what is another airline brand. The funny part is, of course, is that this week has been Halloween. I mean, the whole week has not been Halloween. October 31st has been <laughs> Halloween. And Eurowings, and I tweeted this, Eurowings tweeted this AI-generated image where it looks like that they are a Eurowings A320neo is putting on a costume of a Ryanair livery, <laughs> basically saying that they're going as Ryanair for Halloween. And they you know, tweeted saying, okay. Eurowings put, we really did have other ideas for this year, but in the end, this one is still our best shot. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. You know, the funny thing about this, I, I don't know if this is your first time seeing that photo, but I'm pretty sure they've reposted that exact same photo like five years in a row. So even the marketing right. budget is like non-existent because they just keep recycling it. And I'm like, listen, I would much rather fly, pay 10 euros to fly Ryanair than 200 to fly Eurowings, another low cost airline on the same route. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. well, there, thank you for having <laughs> us at your TED talk. We, we appreciate it. <laughs> so should... that mic and let's move on. Let's move on to, to an airline we both like, even though they're having a lot of issues in the public eye right they now. They are, yes. So Australia's national carrier Qantas have called currently drowning in endless scandal ever since a few months ago for so many different reasons. But the scandal is now quite politically motivated in terms of what key figures in Australian government were having access to the chairman's lounge, the most elite lounge that Qantas can offer. Perhaps they didn't actually qualify with air miles to be in that lounge, but it was handed out by Alan Joyce, the now, uh, the now former CEO of Qantas. But the news and the development of this week is that Qantas has now fully confirmed the launch of its non-stop Paris to Australia flights in non-stop Dan fashion. This is why your username is just going to be worth <laughs> more and more each year because everyone's going non-stop. And here we go. So we have non-stop Paris to Australia, specifically to Perth, beginning July 2024. Just in time for the Olympics and hopefully in time for the bedbugs to be gone. Yeah. So they will have cleared the bedbugs. The Olympics will be ready, set, go. And 
it's just another example of here we have the rise of ultra long haul. This was always the plan. And of course, you can already fly from London to Perth nonstop. This is a flight that operates daily and it's a little under 18 hours. I always think, I don't know about you, Dan, but I always think, the pe- and I always ask this to people that I, when people that I meet, when they end up asking me about, uh, you know, Alex, what's the longest flight you've been on? Or um, what do you think of, you know, stopping or going direct? And, and I always ask them because I, I, I genuinely believe it is 50-50, okay? And I invite the listeners to get in touch with us on this. But th- th- I think there are just as many people that want to go ultra long haul nonstop as those who want to stop Mm. what about you i think it depends on the cabin class if i was in economy no way i would fly non-stop for 18 17 or 18 hours much better i wouldn't even fly from australia to the middle east like 13 hours in economy no thank you best to go ideally ideal world and obviously time is a luxury I luckily have a lot of time usually. So in that scenario, I would go Australia to Southeast Asia, Southeast Asia to the Middle East, Middle East to Europe, for example, to break it up in a premium cabin. It depends. I think, you know, flying nonstop definitely has its benefits. But for me, ultimately, it's about the price and the quality of the airline more than anything. Mm. I just think like seeing these types of flights, I actually, this is something we've never spoken about long-term vision for where to live like i don't know about your long-term vision i'd love to hear it but for me and oscar we've thought about we love australia and new zealand problem is it's very far from our families so non-stop flights make the biggest difference but then again it's like economy class is two thousand dollars on Qantas flights from london to perth so it's not really a steal when they could take one connection and <laughs> and pay half the price but and of course you've yeah. got the benefit people still say you know it just just being able to quote stretch their legs is something that they think is is worth stopping for it just it just yeah. gives you that that welcome break i can remember doing the first Dubai to Melbourne A380 flight. It wasn't the first one, but it was about a week into service with my sister. We were 14 at the time and we did Dubai to Melbourne nonstop economy, about 14 hours or so, I think a little bit more. Great thing about the A380 is that there's so much space, so you you don't feel it as much as as other aircraft because of the way in which the cabin walls are designed. They're more straight. You can't sense the curvature of the aircraft. You don't feel like you're in an aluminium tube. <laughs> so it was okay, but also, uh, I mean, we were smaller. I was smaller yeah, in terms exactly. of height and everything, and that that definitely makes all the difference. Now, if I had to do that journey, I would want to stop if it was going to be an economy, as you said. Yeah, but I think just the the thought that let's say we did end up moving to Australia, the thought that there are direct flights to Europe in an emergency, you can get there as fast as possible. I think that's just really comforting and it's good to know that the fastest possible route has been unlocked, which is very valuable. But yeah, we'll see where we end up living. It's a bit of a, it's a tough equation to figure out. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When you have those conversations about where which cities do you find the most livable and therefore you think that actually you you could very very easily live there i mean i'm greek i like the sun and warm (laughs) climates yeah because i don't like the sun (laughs) at all 
I don't know. I don't know. Look, listen, don't take out your anger about Gothenburg and Newark being axed on me, okay? Save that for the therapist after this this recording. But the I, I could there are many not many, there are a handful of places that I've traveled to where I thought, okay, I could definitely live here for a long time. Of course, I did mention it on a previous podcast. I feel I could live in California. On oh, a just... previous podcast, on every previous podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you asked me and I've answered. <laughs> now you're becoming salty with my reply. You're, you know, this we'll is be not neighbors in Beverly Hills. For me, yeah. to be honest. Excuse me, you do not live in Beverly Hills, okay? I could move there tomorrow if I wanted to. I'll remind you. Oh, this is the issue with American passport holders. Here we go. He's ramming it around <laughs> like he's, you know, like he's a golden ticket lottery winner. We get it. It's fine. You could. But also, there are ways in which I could and also the listeners could. Mm, tell me so how. if you're not careful, we'll all move in on the same street, okay? I'll get together a group of listeners who are the also on-air street. in LA. <laughs> yeah. The honor exactly, and and we'll be right there. Um, anyway, there are cities that I think I, I could not. Just, I'm not going to say specifically LA, but California I could, and then anywhere that's just warmer with with as much natural daylight as possible. Yeah. The thing I hate about a lot of Europe is how dark it can be in the winter, and then how that just affects the whole environment and everybody's mood and everyone that you interact with and it's just depressing it's, you know <laughs> yeah i can't it, it can do be it depressing and you you start to see the rhetoric of that now as the you know the clocks have moved back in europe haven't they over the last weekend yeah and so now there's this you know oh the evenings are darker and everyone needs to get in earlier and you know it's like and then then the whole the, the media start the conversation about you know, worrying people about, you know, the energy bills and, 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 and there's just a lot of that darkness comes with a lot of worry that I think affects population that those same, for example, economic uncertainties can exist in the summer months. But because things are brighter, not only do people feel better, but also you have the whole rhetoric of society and media deciding we're not going to worry about uh, bothering you about your electricity bill, even though you're still using yeah. electricity in summer. Yeah. You know, so there's this there's this control. And, and I think there's just you have to be outside of that bubble to be able to to see that that's what happens in so much of Europe. I mean, the, yeah, what not about Australia? I, I know have... Melbourne doesn't have great weather, but like Sydney is so beautiful yeah. and has better weather. And... Well, a, a lot of my family are in Melbourne and, yeah. and I love Melbourne. I love Melbourne a lot. I think it's such a cool city. I think Melbourne is tagged as the world's most livable city. That's mm. kind of that tagline. And it's just so cool effortlessly. And you're right, they don't benefit from the same climate that Sydney does just a, an hour away by plane. But it is, on the whole, benefiting compared with the places like Europe uh, of, of beautiful Australian weather, of course, not to the extent of, of the Gold Coast and places like that. I just think that to live in Australia, I would just feel too far mm. from everywhere. Yeah, that's the There's problem. just this work-wise, you know, time zone-wise. I mean, the only thing that would that could if if i if i could move to california tomorrow and then it was just my decision to make if i had to weigh up the pros and cons on the con side of it it would be the time zone yes it's the worst when, uh, it's just i mean for example last month when i was there i'm waking up everyone and their dog 
has completed the day, right? Yeah. So like I had emails in my inbox that were, hi, Alex, would like you to do blah, 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 followed by a follow-up email six hours later that was, never mind, given the response. We can't. And I'm like, oh my God, all I did was sleep and I, and I only slept seven hours at that. You know, the time zone is so far. But then I also remember while I was in LA after, after four days, I was like, you know what? Forget the time zone. This is, this is the best <laughs> this place is to the live. center of the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where I am is all that matters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of but true. Realistically, from a business point of view, it's a nightmare. Yeah. I have to say about New Zealand, Oscar and I, when we went there instantly, we were like, we're home. We've never been here before, but we're home. And we spent 10 days there. And just I, I've been back on transit. I really connect to it. I would I would move there in a heartbeat if it was like, let's wow. say where the Canary Islands are instead of all the way on the other <laughs> side of the world. But there's Listen, a few things. I think if New Zealand was where the Canary Islands were, it wouldn't be. This is a hypothetical, New Zealand. <laughs> this is a hypothetical example. But uh, something that just blew my mind is that New Zealand to San Francisco or LA is a three hour time difference. I'm like, how is this? possible and to me thinking okay it's six hours to new york even if it's 12 hours to europe makes it a little better not to mention it's the first re really relevant time zone so instead of being behind you're really ahead so you know deadline is yeah the first of november well i'm done before you even wake up on the first of november because it's the evening and i do like that i like traveling to the far east for that i, I just like in general i enjoy making sure i mean the question there would be ahead of what so i guess somewhere <laughs> in us as europeans embedded deep inside our stomachs we have gmt just mm. right there you know or or, or cet to, to go to your time zone because what are we compare what are we saying ahead, ahead of what yeah, yeah i mean ahead, ahead of, of i guess the places that you and i do the most business with right yeah yeah and and, and that's why you know for example, the Middle East, I've always said this, benefits from amazing time zone because of the way in which so close to Asia, a head start to the European working day, not too far away. The only thing that it's too far away from is LA. But of course, nobody's yeah. working in LA. They're too busy. They're all on the beach <laughs> and they're everyone surfing and having I mean, avocado toast and whatever. The so, funny thing so is, we were not supposed to really anything there. Yeah, I mean, we both we were both just impacted by the time zone issues because we were supposed to do a joint interview with people on the west coast of the u.s and and everything messes up due to time zone confusion. are they on the west coast uh, i think they're between coasts toward the west it, it even confuses me and at this point i just think wherever i am in the world i keep track of new york time uk time european time and then the rest i'll just let someone else figure it out what about the time zones that are like x hours in front or behind and a half Oh, don't get me started. India, don't get me started on that. And there's some that actually have 15 minutes. I could not. Yeah, you would need like a computer program where you enter what is the time here and then <laughs> what's the time on the other side of the earth so I can plan meetings at the right time. Yeah. So like, I, I think most people don't realize, I mean, India and Sri Lanka, five hours 30 ahead of UTC. So that five hours and a half, Afghanistan, four and a half, Iran, three and a half. No, but part of Canada, 15 minute time Canada, zones, 15 minute time zone, Nepal, that's where it is. Ne yeah, that's, oh, that's messy. <laughs> yeah, that's even messier messy. than half an hour. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing Kathmandu, Nepal's capital is located 
five hours and 45 minutes of solar time east of UTC. It's just like, why? Why not just make it six? <laughs> I, I always realize this when I look at like when, when you know, when you said that we both kind of wake up and end up scrolling flight radar and have a look at what's around. And yeah. I look at these aircraft and the departure times just to see on time performance. When did they leave? How long have those passengers been in the air while I was asleep and so on? And it, and it says, you say, recognizing that the time that they left local time compared to UTC what and that and then obviously it's, yeah it's somewhere like like nepal or, or sri lanka super confusing alex we have done it again we've just chatted and chatted we need to get no, into q and a Let, let's go let's go let's go to our questions okay so the first question i have here is from the username at l wire this came on youtube so remember the podcast is available on all platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, but also you're able to listen on YouTube as L Wire has. And he says, my favorite podcast so far. This is a question Ooh. for Dan to use. So this is specifically for to you. Use. Have you ever given... <laughs> yeah, there we go. Have you ever given speeches to the aviation industry? And if so, what was the topic? Well, I haven't really been an aviation speaker until next year. I will be at the Travel Summit Toronto 2024. If anyone wants to come there, hear me speak, nice. meet up. But Alex, I'm sure you have done a bit more of that. I have done a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, aside from the broadcast stuff, to be specific about the question, I have spoken to not just to airlines, but also to manufacturers. One nice example is I spoke to a big room of about 150 Airbus cabin design personnel about what was happening elsewhere in the industry in terms of the developments and the trends related to cabin. And it was just kind of a, a nice update and very casual, but they enjoyed it. And I remember I also got roasted because... <laughs> the airline didn't deliver my bag and I had to, and this was in Hamburg, and I had to appear on stage. I was in a full suit, but I did not have black long socks. I only had black trainer socks. Mm. So not a big deal, right? But you, you could see as I walked onto the stage that <laughs> I, was not wearing, I was wearing black trainer socks and it was in Hamburg and they were judgmental Germans. <laughs> oh, God. The, the first row immediately, she said, she said to the guy next to her, maybe this is the style with the socks. <laughs> maybe this is the style. And I, I opened by saying, please ignore the fact I'm wearing trainer socks. It is because the airline didn't deliver my bag. And that's why. But we Good. had a great session and it was cool. It's the content that's important. Why, why judge your outfit? I feel like I'm indirectly presenting to airlines through my videos. I know that I've heard you are, from, you are. Yeah, I've heard from several cabin crew at different airlines that they've used parts of my videos for training, actually cabin crew training. So that in that sense, I've spoken in cabin crew training and stuff like that when it comes to crew, just not directly, which I guess is I should be getting paid. They're for like that. they're like, look at her, look at how Daniel put that knife and fork back down onto the table. That's what we're aspiring for. No, they're like, that's sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I often talk about like what I find good in service. So I think that's, that's why people okay, like it. Your turn. So I have a very interesting question, which is something I think about when I eventually have kids. Kelly writes, she has a three-year-old daughter. She is terrified to fly with her in business class because of She's worried she'll disturb other passengers. So, oh, that's good. What What is your 
perspective and thought on that, potentially thinking that you might be a parent in the future as well. Right. I think there are there are two sides you have to look at this. There are a, there is a clear difference between kids that are naughty and the parents are not doing anything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and kids and, and, and kids that are in distress, the air pressure is affecting their ears and so on and so on, you know, babies crying and so on. That, clear difference so that's why i think you can't take this kind of sweeping statements with oh my god we dread the fact if there are kids in for example to relate to the question in premium cabins because typically people would say that they're paying to have a, a, a better night's sleep there and how can they if there's the sound of a crying baby i'm i'm always sympathetic with something like a crying baby because of the way in which we know the science tells us that you know as adults areas can be affected not least newborns you know, toddlers and so on and so on. My sympathy ends dramatically the moment I see kids that their parents are just too afraid to discipline them, to yeah. tell them the word no. OK, <laughs> no, it is not acceptable to have the kids running up and down the aisle in any cabin. OK, when when yes. Oh, but little Tommy wants to run around. OK, but this is an aircraft and the aisles need to be kept clear for certain reasons. And also it's not for the other passengers to ultimately have to go along with the fact that you have kids. You know, the parents that don't stop going on that they have kids that somehow is a justification. Yeah, we were all kids once. Of course, it's nothing unique. I, I I've, have much more respect for parents that say no. You're not going to be running around and prodding and poking other passengers. And I'm going to do my best as a parent to keep you entertained, to keep you happy, to have you here next to me on the seat, not 10 rows away while while daddy is sleeping and the kid <laughs> is busy prodding 32 C. Yeah, you know, that's where, <laughs> that's where my thing is. I yeah, I absolutely think that kids should be allowed at least in business class. I'm not sure about first under a certain age. But one thing that more airlines should do is create like many airlines have two cabins, one at the front, a smaller one in the back. Why not make it so that one cabin is dedicated for families with kids? And one is, you know, guaranteed silence, or at least closer to guaranteed. I think that's a good idea. But yeah. I agree with you. You need to see, are the parents doing all they can? If they are, people will see that and they'll understand it. It reminds me of a story I saw, I think many years ago now, a same-sex couple was taking home their adopted daughter. Like, I think she was three months old, very, very young, to their new home. First time flying, obviously. So they were super nervous. They were flying first class in the US. So not quite a long haul business class flight where people are looking to sleep. But I remember they had made little notes with a picture of the girl that said, hi, my name is whatever. My name is Anna. I remember I've just this. been adopted. It's my first flight. Please be understanding with me if I if I'm upset. I thought that was wonderful. I would love, you know, I wouldn't mind doing that if I what well when i have kids just as a it's a cute gesture other people appreciate it it humanizes the family and the baby and yeah. it, it gives a bit of context as well so the people aren't just like they don't because it also shows you made the effort to make a note like that so obviously you're going to make an effort to to take care of your child on the flight as well i just i just yeah the moment that i i see that the that the parents are immediately like the kid is acting up and then the parent comes in and says 
no. Like that's not, then I'm like, okay, good. Everything's fine. Because yeah. even if it then continues not to be fine, the parent is showing that they are not scared or not simply giving up because, well, I have kids, so you will have to suffer with it because I'm not going to, 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 to be disciplinary about it. There was a debate on Good Morning Britain about this very subject just when, when summer was starting and all the travel stories pop up. And the, the woman defending this position she was a young woman she was literally saying well you know kids are part of life and so if you don't want to go on a plane with kids then get yourself a private jet that was the stuff but that's that that's not the debate the debate is is that it cannot be like just like in a restaurant just like elsewhere the case that a kid cannot just be told no they're like why should we all have to you know let there be the expectation that yes, the kid is going to stay in, in their assigned seat. And if not, then the parent is going to do whatever they can, but not involve everyone else with that. Yeah. Yep. Well said. Okay. My next question is from Peter. He says, when you are traveling with hand luggage only, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to struggle with liquids and end up paying a fortune for the smaller liquids to comply with the 100 mil limits that still exist almost everywhere. What do you guys do when you're traveling with hand luggage in order to get around these rules? Well, I'm the worst person to ask because I hate traveling <laughs> with only hand luggage and I very rarely do unless it's like a two day trip precisely for this reason. This is one of the big reasons. So I travel light if the trip is a couple of days. Exactly. And then it's said. fine if to I'm bring a weekend tiny trip, toiletries. I'll, yeah. And I'll try what I'll try to do, Peter, in order to, to get around that is to not buy the stuff at the airport and to try to find the smaller below 100 mil toiletries in the supermarket prior to travel and then put them in the clear bag before and have it all ready to go that way rather than end up having to fork out at the airport where but, everything is going to be yeah to be more expensive but you're from the uk that's the country of cheap miniature toiletries like boots is always four for the price of three you can get all types of things, face wash, shampoo, deodorant, and it's like two pounds each. So you end up paying six or seven pounds. So what I do is whenever I'm transiting in the UK, I just stock up on all my minis because it has most of the stuff I need. And then I just don't bother looking for it elsewhere. You know what I love? I love that feeling after I've got through security. I'm like, Oh, now that now all those toiletries can go in my hand luggage suitcase rather than yes. I take them out of my my duffel bag. I'm like, you don't need to be checked again. You're fine. You're going to go in there. And, and the same with like the chargers and things like that. I love that feeling. But hopefully we are going in a direction where now more and more airports will be having this technology that doesn't require you to take out any liquids or electronic devices. This is already, for example, in the UK, since we're talking about it at London City Airport. And also the, Removing the limit are... Yeah. Yeah, the limits have uh, basically removed. I mean, there is still a limit, but it's nowhere near 100 mil. So yeah. you're, you're Sorry, I it. need to bring my yeah. two liter sunscreen. <laughs> that's a less likely scenario. But yeah, that's For one me, of my <laughs> hairspray. It's always hairspray. That I end up having to... mm, yeah, yeah. My main reasons that I do like transiting in the UK, although I avoid Heathrow occasionally, I like to go just to stock up at Boots and eat at Marks and Spencer's or Pret. Because they have, you know, Pret in the UK is the best. So I love Pret. I love Pret. <laughs> it's those. I love Pret. Okay. This question is from Lucy. It's, so, it's a reply to my story. I don't know how this is relevant. Maybe she, maybe she saw someone in my story walk past. But all she put was, who are the monsters that wear jeans on a long haul? 
<laughs> Good question. That's I have question. the same question. <laughs> or who wears suits yeah. on a long haul? I'm like, you know, you're not working yeah. right now, right? <laughs> Even if you like, sometimes I see some a passenger boarding in a suit from a long haul. I, I think, okay, well, you're going to get changed on board, right? I mean, you're not going to sit there like that in a suit for the next X amount of hours. But to answer the question specifically, who are the monsters that wear jeans on a long haul? I don't know, Lucy. They're just monsters. Yeah, I have that's... no other answer. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. What are they doing? Okay, maybe this should be a good last topic. What are your thoughts on what you should wear on a long haul? Obviously not, you know, open shoes or a bathing suit. But in terms of yeah. should you dress up? What should you wear? Or is it okay to wear, wear sweatpants? What do you think? I wear loose fitting clothing when flying long haul. Trainers, definitely. And then loose fitting slash baggy soft pants. So whether or not they are tracksuit pants, but no, more kind of like tracksuit. Athleisure. Athleisure is the word. Yeah, athleisure. That's what I'm wearing. We'd like to introduce you guys to athleisure. Um, You're introducing me as well. Because there's the exact pants that I'm using an American term, right? Pants, right? Exact pants (laughs) that I wear when I travel. Okay, very loose fitting. I've got them in different colors, but I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because it's neither a tracksuit nor trousers. That it's as you said. I think it's athleisure. And then I'll wear a t-shirt with a hoodie. And I'll, no matter what the this is for a long haul. No matter where I am, even in a hot climate, or what the season of this, or what time of year, because I just think you can't go wrong. If the aircraft cabin is warm, I take my hoodie off. If the aircraft cabin is cold, great. I've got my hoodie on. So yeah. I just think that's how I'm most comfortable. I, I agree. I also don't personally mind wearing shorts. If I'm flying between Thailand and Singapore, both places are boiling. I'm not going to put on long pants and feel super hot and uncomfortable when it's perfectly fine to wear shorts. Long pants actually make you feel warmer or, or is it mean, visually you think it does? No, most of mine. No, definitely. I feel like I have a pair of or like a model of short that I have in every different color that I just wear all the time that is amazing. And it's super breathable. It's like water resistant. And I always prefer to wear that over long pants. But if I am wearing something long, I wear similar to you. It's like, it's a cargo pant. So it's not similar to you in that sense, but it looks very sort of dressed up. It's athleisure in the sense that it's like extremely spandexy or something. So you can stretch around. You don't feel at all uncomfortable. And I just athleisure. don't understand. <laughs> You're welcome, Alex. For introdu- It's like a term that it was a trend so long ago already. But I don't understand the amount of comments I get on my YouTube videos. Why are you not wearing a shirt in first class? Obviously, I'm wearing a shirt, but why are you not wearing a dress shirt in first class? Or why are you not wearing something fancy in first class? I'm just like, you know, the airline gives you pajamas during boarding that they encourage you to put on. They don't want you in a suit. They want you in literal pajamas. So wear whatever you want. It's not a problem. Yeah, just please, please don't go to the bathroom barefoot. I know we spoke about that really early on. And wear closed shoes so no one has to smell anything bad. Also, those when men, some men wear those tank tops that cover like 50% of their torso (laughs) and then they're sitting against a leather seat and you're just like, oh, this is not how it's meant to be. Welcome on board, United. Literally United, yeah, (laughs) with all their leather seats. 
Okay, next question. How can you actually make economy class comfortable? What are your tips? In brackets, this comes ahead of a flight I have to New Zealand. There we go. So, New Zealand makes its debut again. Ooh. And I know that the aircraft is expecting a lighter load. So, mm. so how can you make economy class genuinely comfortable? And basically saying that he knows, I don't know how he knows, but he knows that the aircraft is going to have a lighter load. Who, who asks this? This is a question from Jordan on Instagram. Mm. I think... You know, it's funny. I realized, I realized, yeah, of course. But for me, it was like a mind-blowing realization as an av geek who has always chosen the window seat. On a flight, like, I guess last year, I sat in an aisle seat for really the first time in a long time on a good airline. And I was like, wait a minute. The aisle seat is so much nicer than the window seat, in my opinion. So for me, I would get an aisle, maybe pay a bit extra to have the bulkhead row, bulkhead row in an aisle, or to sit toward the back where on many wide bodies, there's two seats instead of three seats on the side. That's, you know, an affordable way for me to feel as free and flexible as possible to move around so you can easily go to the toilet or stretch. Yeah, just feel a bit more human. Yeah. Definitely. There are a few flights that I've done delivery flights where we were unable to sit in the business class area of the aircraft because the seat models were still taped up and covered with protective sheeting and so on. So we were all in economy and there was only about 18 of us on board on these delivery flights. And I would become an expert at making up a bed in economy. So putting back all of the armrests, including the aisle armrest, which does go back if you find the small button underneath the armrest itself towards the back of it. So if you imagine the armrest on the aisle, typically a lot of passengers think that does not, that does not recline, that doesn't go back yeah. in order for you to access. It does. There's a small button at the back. You press it and then it, and then it's, a, it's an, a release handle. You can pull that armrest back. So I would put them all back, including <laughs> the, uh, the one in the middle and the one after. And then I would put a blanket as a kind of mattress, maybe even another blanket, a second one on top of it. Then I would put pillows everywhere, all the gaps, all the, you know, by the where the cabin wall meets the seat and so on. And then another blanket on top and fold it back like a hotel, maybe uh, embroider my initials in the pillow and then uh, khalas, done. Hey, press yeah, nice, uh, <laughs> It is fine. Class. Yeah. Especially if you do what you did, it can be fine, but that's not always possible. Yeah. Also, all airlines don't let you or they, they don't have raisable armrests in all aisle seats, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, mm, it is a legal requirement that some rows at least on yeah. all aircraft have to have those armrests that go back in order for for accessibility purposes and for those that require special assistance. So you can have a quick look on the kind of seat guru style websites for that. But most airlines that you will fly on, that armrest does go back. And it's always funny because I can't remember if I told you this, it would always make me laugh being on a short haul flight. And I would very smoothly and effortlessly pull back the armrest at the aisle. And then the passenger across the aisle would see me do it and then try to do it and like battle with it up and blowing. down, up and down, up and down. And, 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 and they can't do it. And, then, and they're looking like, well, how did he just do it? I'm like, uh -huh. <laughs> well, you can ask or you can just continue to give me sketchy looks. If you continue to give me sketchy looks, so, I'm not telling you. So European. I don't want to throw shit, but so European to just like look but not ask how to do it. In the US, it would be like, 
Oh my God, are you magic? Tell me how you did that. You know, everyone requests your American accent. So I think we need it to reappear at least once every episode. And like, Jerry, Jerry, did you, did you see that? That young, that young boy put his armrest back. <laughs> so, so accurate. <laughs> oh my gosh, young man, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah, I love the way that Americans talk to everyone though. Yeah. Compared with like the, the modesty of the Europeans. Who are, oh my God, we just made eye contact. Yeah, we like, must now look away. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, it's, it's really crazy as an American when trying traveling yeah. because you can go like a long time without seeing Americans without really talking to many people if Oscar and I are traveling alone let's say then you just happen to be sitting next to Americans who are like at the table next to you at a restaurant and somehow you're you end up in a conversation in any part of the world I I really love it I love when you when I was just there I sit down and then like the person right next to the table I make like a half smile to be yeah. polite. And it's like, so how's your day going? Yeah. I'm like, oh. So, okay. So we're doing it. We are doing this now. And then the, the conversation ends. You're like talking about some crazy, completely unrelated niche stuff. I, yeah. I love it. So, I mean, the, the British accent sounds on steroids in the US. I don't know why. <laughs> when everyone around you is speaking in full blown American, the, the accent that is my everyday accent that I have, suddenly I'm like, why do I sound like something from Harry Potter? Why yeah. I sound like something from... <laughs> You're like calling like yeah, Love Actually, you know, <laughs> that guy who goes to the US. Honestly, I remember I kept call, like calling for, I don't know, extra towels or room service or something. And it literally, um, good evening, um, Buckingham Palace calling. That, <laughs> yeah, that, in, my, in my head, that's what I... I was like, tone it down. Try and be more, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and that's how it's I feel. That's how I feel in the UK. I'm like, hey, y'all, <laughs> like, where can I find the nearest public transport? <laughs> that's how I feel you are on the podcast. So that I'm consistent. That, <laughs> for me, you are a token Nashville co-anchor great of, of, uh, of on air. And you're our spokesperson for his majesty, the queen on air. Yeah. The ma so Wait, this, I just said His Majesty what? the Queen. <laughs> and I said, yeah. yeah. I think it's a time to wrap listening. up on that note. Before we do, speaking of His Majesty, I put this on Twitter. There was a video that the royal family's t official Twitter account released saying the king and queen flew to Kenya today ahead of their state visit, which begins tomorrow. Follow Royal Visit Kenya for the latest updates. You don't and need to do that accent. You already have it. You don't need to try. I know, but that was like a, a crown accent. The crown is coming back in a couple of weeks. Ooh, I actually listened to the crown music this morning. It just auto-played and I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> Rubbish, it didn't auto-play. You, you search for that. <laughs> I swear it auto-played. But anyway, anyway, back to Kenya. Did the Etihad, did the Etihad boarding music also just auto-play? <laughs> no, I was playing something else before that. I don't remember what. Anyway. <laughs> so the, uh, the king and queen, they uploaded it as a, as a video. And what I liked is, and I tweeted this, they look very comfortable sitting in the Thompson Vantage XL premium cabin seat. This is a seat that we have spoken about when we did the cabin design episode. Yep. It is the business class seat that you will find on the likes of Qantas, Scandinavian Airlines, Rwandair, 
and many other carriers. It is also on the state aircraft, the RAF aircraft in the UK that the royal family use for these type of state visits. So that's an A330 Voyager. And they are looking very comfortable yeah. in what is a business class seat that many passengers will have flown before. Yeah, how humble of them, <laughs> uh, slumming it in the in the Thompson XL Vantage seat. What, what does RAF stand for? Royal Air Force. Mm, yeah, it's so funny because so what my one of my mom's best friends is British. She teaches us all these all these British expressions, which you know I should know growing up there. But she's like, so she goes gaff and naff. So gaff is that something's bad, right? Or is gaff my house? It's one of those two, right? <laughs> Correct. So my gaff yeah. is, is my my place. So yeah. basically my home. My, so my, my gaff house, is naff. My, my thing. <laughs> so to say that somebody's gaff is naff. So naff means bad, basically naff. <laughs> yeah. For example, Lufthansa's European business class is quite literally the definition of naff. <laughs> Okay, but to say somebody's gaff is naff is awfully impolite, Dan. That's yeah, you would just say it about your own, not nice. about your own house. Yeah, I, I was just wondering. Own, but don't bring me into it, because <laughs> then I read it as raff. So then I'm like, oh, maybe the seats raff. on the raff are a bit naff. <laughs> There's so many little things that I I can't. Re I always remember when we are saying it, and my mum will say it to some of my friends in the Middle East, and I'll be like, no, no, that. They'll look out for a split second and say, no, they, they don't say that here. It's, they have no idea what that is. Just a very, very specific, normal words that would be fully embedded into the English language in England, but not outside. Oh, okay, for example, again, I don't think it's an official word, but, oh, she's just trying to suss out if that's the truth or not. Yeah, figure out. Suss, yeah, but... <laughs> It's That's funny now that sus has got a new meaning, like among Gen sus Z. Sus now has a sus new means meaning. Suspicious. Yeah, it's yeah. not. Which this sus I just said does not mean suspicious. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a, an American linked. thing. Yeah, I yeah. I love British slang, especially like I understand most of it, even though I I would never use it. But then seeing Oscar hear my mom's friend, for example, talk, every second word is some British slang. Oscar is just one big question mark. Like, huh? It's great. Like, do you know, do you know if I say to you, oh, Dan, you look knackered? Yeah, I, I look exhausted, tired. Okay. And you know that it, I can say to you, oh, there was, there was a bloke in first class. Yeah, there was a bloke that was uh, well fit. <laughs> okay, there we go. So what about if I say to you, somebody was plastered? Is that super drunk? Yeah, it was See, very good. I, I have like, a connection oh, God, to the don't, UK. Don't, don't go to that area because it's dodgy of course that's i think all yeah, americans yeah. know dodgy i mean it's even in love actually the dodgy end okay i'm reading here fiver of course tenor yeah bird okay that i have no idea that's not nice i mean it's not nice now but but it, okay but it's also not it's not offensive it's just embedded in english slang so i'll say so bird is british slang for a girl or a woman so someone huh. would say Oh, there was a bird sitting next to me. They mean a woman. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I've never heard that one. <laughs> yeah, that that's like that's fully embedded in yeah. British yeah. slang. The bird next the, to me uh, was a bit naff. There we go. There we go. <laughs> and so you went back home to your my gaff, gaff. <laughs> with a bird. Yeah, exactly. She was a bit naff, yeah. but I didn't mind. She was fit enough for me. <laughs> 
Yeah, there we go. Uh, so somehow we got onto British slang because this is what we do in this podcast. I mean, we go off on Yeah, stages. exactly. But I, I, like, that's what's so funny about British Airlines because I feel like the UK is so formal, but both BA and Virgin, you board and they're like, hello, guys, welcome on board. How's it going? <laughs> like, it's so laid back. Fancy some food. And I, I like that as long as they're performing their duties but it's yeah. a very cultural experience flying both those airlines one, one i was with my friend right with, with my friend and he is from the middle east and we were checking in at heathrow and she said that the lady checking us in was a lovely super cockney accent and she said um the loads about the flight load she said no the loads at this time of day are, are much quieter do you know what i mean she <laughs> yeah. said like that and and he said to me he was like Dremamine. Dremamine. Like, it's a drug. <laughs> it's a drug. Yeah, he was like, "What did she say?" As it, as it, she said, "Do you know what I mean?" And he was like, "Why did she ask us this?" Yeah. Like, she, Why would it's I? It's rhetorical. Know <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's rhetorical. It's just, it's nothing we need to answer. It's yeah, <laughs> but I mean, every every sentence on this podcast, we say, "You know," which is another. I think for non-English speakers, saying, "You know," yeah. I mean, you know. is these filler. Don't like that... <laughs> sentences that start with so. Sentences should not start with so. So let's go. We're guilty of it. Yeah. Grammatically, it's incorrect. I think on TV, I say ultimately too much. Mm. I can, I mean, every, every time, I, even in the podcast, I think I say, and ultimately we, okay, that's that's just a, a personal thing, but I think I might say it too. Yeah. Great you just now. have those words now, you, I've just highlighted There's it. just those words you resort to that, that you're comfortable with. At least we don't say like all the time, which, which like is a pet peeve for awful. me. Do you know if something is mint condition? Yeah. It's in perfect condition, but I think that's used in the US as well. Yeah, I'm, some of these are terrible. These are about 25 brilliant British English slang phrases. And I'm like, excuse me, that's from New York. That's <laughs> One, from Brooklyn. Oh, okay. The Aussie phrase that cracks me up. The, the first time I heard it, I was oh, like, the oh, Aussies are so good. They have so many good ones. But I, I was volunteering with a bunch of Aussies in Thailand. And one of them goes, I have brown shit all over my thongs. And I was like, <gasps> I knew you were what? Did you I knew, just wait, wait. Pause before you say what it is, okay? <laughs> Just imagine eight-year-old Alex, okay? His cousins had flown over from Melbourne, where I said a lot of my family are. They were staying with us in London, and we're getting ready to go out for the day. We were going to Wimbledon, okay? It was summer. And she goes to me, could you go upstairs and get my thongs? She said to me. I said to her, I was eight, yeah? I said to her what she was like my thongs could you just get them they're just they're just next to the bed yeah oh so God. i was like so i'm like this okay <laughs> so so i go upstairs i go upstairs into the guest room where she's staying and i'm looking around of course i'm looking for what <laughs> i understand to be thongs wondering why does she want them for Wimbledon, right? And why does she want you Maybe to Maybe she's going to throw them. And why does she want me? Like, this is awfully inappropriate of my cousin yeah. to ask eight-year-old Alex. Why couldn't she have asked eight-year-old Demi? At least it would have been woman to woman, yeah. right? And... Uh, and I'm thinking maybe she wants to throw them at Nadal or Federer. Like, I don't know what floats her boat. Anyway, so, <laughs> so I'm looking. So I come downstairs and I'm like, I couldn't find them. And like, I'm sorry. And she was like, and she was like, they're right there. She's like, there's two of them, right? 
<laughs> I couldn't find it. Long story short, I then later learned to my relief, thongs are what we call flip-flops. Yeah. So you can imagine when this girl says I have brown shit all over my thongs. I go, what? <laughs> yeah. uh, so appropriate. Yeah. They, they, they abbreviate every, everything. They abbreviate everything. They from, from the word afternoon to the word the family name of the prime minister they there is nothing that aussies do not abbreviate so for mm. example the prime minister anthony albanese his albo right? <laughs> after afternoon they'll say yeah we'll meet tomorrow arvo arvo <laughs> of course avocado toast yeah avo avo. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. And, and and the amount of swear words that are in their language oh I my mean, god it's in, crazy. in Sydney in May, Oscar and I were walking on a, like, there's a golf course by Bondi Beach. So we were trying to walk somewhere. We just walked across it. And there's this group of, like, 30-year-old, very preppy guys. That girl, like, that girl's such a effing C-word. And I'm just like, uh, whoa. <laughs> it's a horrible phrase, but it's very commonly used down under. When you go to the Australian dictionary, okay, and you see the C word, I mean the C word, that it says used when exchanging pleasantries between close <laughs> friends or family. If what? someone calls you the C word in Australia, then breathe a sigh of relief. It means they like you. It's like a lovable phrase, is that it? Like, you know, like some people in the US will say, uh, I love you, bitch. And that's a loving yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's so funny how everything is, oh, what's the, I can't remember what a, a galah is, which is, I think, a galah, I think, is a bird with a reputation of being an idiot. So if someone is s silly or stupid, then they're, they're just a galah. <laughs> like that, that bird that's not very bright or has a reputation for not being very bright. Mm. It's funny. Yeah. Everything well, I think we've well. perfectly timed the episode to fill a flight from Frankfurt to London. So if anyone happens to be flying that route, download the episode. Well, obviously, you're listening to the end can't now. The route, but... Can't the route be somewhere nicer? Can't the route be somewhere... <laughs> you know, some, can't it be how from like... to Singapore? From... Nice route. Exactly. Tokyo to Seoul. Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. even, even like, I don't know, let's connect two capitals of culture. Rome to Madrid or Lisbon to Paris. But for you to just try and bring up Frankfurt is, I mean. <laughs> We've slandered Lufthansa enough this episode. Let's let's leave it at that. No, <laughs> we're will... never going to talk to me again. <laughs> <laughs> I fly Lufthansa a lot. Not that I enjoy it, but being banned from Lufthansa. I have to be fly like them a, a lot in Europe. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, it's not just Lufthansa. You've got to be careful. Remember, they're the group. So it's like, imagine you're boarding. <laughs> Swiss, Swiss, like, awesome. We know what you said <laughs> about Cityline. I'm like, we it wasn't about Cityline. I swear it was it. It was about City Airlines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was young, like we go. Lufthansa was my favorite airline. I knew, especially then, they're all their announcements by heart. Like my nominal town has some comment on board. Their username. <laughs> no. And on that note, <laughs> we will see you guys. Wait, 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 wait. I was throwing shade saying that hence the username, but you were going full flow. I want to hear it. Go. Hear what? Give me Lufthansa. Announcement. Oh, okay. Well, let's rewind. Meine Damen und Herren, herzlich willkommen an Bord dieser Lufthansa Flug nach New York. And then I, I forgot. I mean, I know some random parts of the safety video, but I, for, I forgot most of it. I used to. It's funny how when, when, you, when you keep hearing it, sometimes the only or the first part of the language that you know is from what you hear on board. Yeah, <laughs> literally.
And then you. Do you speak fluent German? I forgot. No, no, no. Uh, absolutely no, not. But I do understand right. a lot since it's quite similar to. If you know Swedish and English, it's easy to like understand most of it. But still, okay. I know what most of the Lufthansa stuff means. The first, the first ever Arabic that I knew years and years and years ago when I was a kid was the whole. Basically, the pilot announcement that they would that they would make at the beginning of the flight. Yeah, whenever I try, Spanish, whenever I try to impress someone with my Arabic, I go because my an Emirati friend told me how to say. Oh, it's good. It's good. Shukran. Just need a little bit. Shukran. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> shukran. That was on the uh, on the announcement. Well, with that, we will say shukran. We will say uh, thank you, and, uh, uh, and, uh, gracias, thank you, merci. grazie mille. We yeah. will say obrigado. We will say um, oh say? yeah, kamsamnida, arigato gozaimasu. Goodness, I didn't even say it in Greek. Say efharisto, and then we'll say goodbye in in American. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And we shall see you next week on air. See ya. Bye.